You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. When I was a kid, I used to watch these documentaries with my dad on PBS uh, from the Nova series. Anybody ever remember watching Nova? Yeah, it turns out that series started in 1974 and has had like 50 seasons to it, more than like a thousand episodes. Anyway, it's really, it's won all these awards. Anyway, we used to watch these, uh, these Nova documentaries on PBS, my dad and I, about the formation of, you know, the universe and the planets. Um and or just shows about nature and invariably the narrator would talk about the ancient age of the earth and universe or biological and cosmological evolution and my dad and i would be like oh turn this garbage off because of course we were like fundamentalists and couldn't handle it but this was the 80s and we didn't have cable so there was only like 12 channels to watch so we, you know, we kept watching what else were we going to do on a friday night anyway i remember this watching this one episode of nova with my dad about um, the different planets of our solar system and how they formed uh, and how you know gas giants like Jupiter are just these, these enormous spheres of liquid helium and liquid hydrogen, just volatile masses, you know, churning and boiling. And there's like with Jupiter, there's just, you know, have you heard of the, the giant red spot? It's called like the storm on its surface. The storm is larger than the earth been spinning like a hurricane for centuries at like 400 miles an hour. This is like blowing our minds that night, right? And uh, anyway, at, at one point, at the end of the episode, my dad turns to me and says, I prayed a few minutes ago and asked God, why did you make all of these bizarre planets? And God told me, he said, I made them as playgrounds for the angels, which is a nice thought, right? That's a sweet idea. Right? It's a nice idea. It's probably wrong and a little crazy. Um, but here's the thing, and this is why I shared this story today. This is similar to the way many people of faith, I think, react to the sheer vastness and utter strangeness of the cosmos. Not that they think that the planets were made as playgrounds for the angels, but that the cosmos must have some higher purpose to it. And many Christians can't accept the fact or accept the idea that the billions of galaxies out there and the trillions of stars and planets, that they're just there. And there's no higher meaning or higher purpose. They're just there. They're just there. And it just goes on forever with more. And it's just there for sheer randomness. That's hard for many people of faith to accept, I've discovered. And it's also hard for them to accept what the physicists tell us now about the future demise of the universe, that the cosmos is headed towards something called heat death. In other words, many billions, this isn't something you got to worry about next week. Many billions of years from now, we're told from the best science today, that this process of entropy will end. In other words, Eventually, all the stars will burn out and all heat will dissipate and all movement will stop, even at the subatomic level. And everything eventually, 
the, the cosmos will become a cold, dark, lifeless place and remain so for the rest of eternity. This is the story we're told. This, this, this is the future. The universe began with a big bang and it's going to end with a big fizzle. So the current science says, kind of a bummer, right? I mean, it's kind of, kind of a bummer. And all this raises questions about the ultimate meaning and purpose of it all. Questions like, if everything is headed towards oblivion, everything is going to become nothing. Maybe everything's already kind of nothing. If the future is this bleak, then, you know, maybe everything is already kind of this bleak. What then? What then can we find hope in? Today, of course, is the first Sunday of Advent, and the traditional theme on the Western church calendar is hope. And I want to I want to explore today for a few minutes what hope might look like for us as people of faith or as spiritual people living in the modern world where we're told that there is no meaning or purpose to anything in the cosmos, including our very lives, save, of course, save, of course, the meaning and the purpose we ascribe to things. Maybe this doesn't bother you. Or maybe you struggle to find hope in other ways. Maybe for you it's climate change. Or perhaps you know the, the prospect of nuclear war or perhaps it's personal struggles, personal troubles that cause you to struggle to find hope. People often turn to religion to find meaning and hope, and that's good. But unfortunately, religion often provides poor answers and kind of flimsy hope. Sometimes, often, religion, the answers religion provides sounds a lot like my dad after watching Nova. Kind of ridiculous answers sometimes and are often a rejection of reality. But that doesn't mean that our religion and spiritual traditions can't give us good answers. I believe they can. I think they can give us helpful ways of thinking about such things and provide us hope. I think one of the ways that religion provides us hope, and perhaps one of the most obvious ways that our faith can provide us hope, is in this idea of the afterlife. I admit, that I struggle <laughs> and I'm not sure what I believe about the afterlife anymore. And I strongly disagree with um, the way Christianity is often preoccupied with the afterlife. I don't know if you've noticed that before, but the message is often, you know, come here and get saved and come to church and believe in God so that you can eventually, you know, it's, it's a fire insurance policy. It gets you out of hell and into heaven. It's, and, and our faith is all about the world to come in the next life. We're, we're taught often that this, you know, there's this idea that my real life begins when I'm dead. This life, this world, that's eh, for the birds. But my real life, that begins when I'm dead in the hereafter, in paradise on high. And that's kind of often the focus or the hope that religion or Christianity provides and is selling. It's all about escaping death, going somewhere else. But, and to be clear, I don't want to denigrate that entirely. I have hope in the afterlife. And I think that there is reason to have hope in the afterlife. And I want to affirm that here this morning without overly focusing on it. I'm going to take it somewhere else eventually here. Um, 
I've been really impressed lately with theories like I'll just toss these words out. They're ten dollar words: panpsychism, dual aspect monism, filter theory, and other similar theories that postulate that consciousness, mind, consciousness might be what undergirds all of reality. The basic idea is that our brains and our bodies are are filters or translators of this greater cosmic mind, a consciousness that we call God that permeates all aspects of material reality and is responsible for why there is a universe in the first place. In other words, there's reason to think that what we call our personal mind, our individual consciousness, is really just a highly localized expression of this greater cosmic mind and cosmic consciousness that we are all inextricably connected to and forever a part of. I love this idea. And it holds or it teaches this idea that when we die and our brains disintegrate, our consciousness doesn't die or disintegrate any more than the Wi-Fi signal in the air around you dies or goes away simply because your phone dies. Your phone is a, is a filter or a downloader of that data stream. Our phones are a manifestation of this hidden and unseen reality that's all around us. A reality that exists irrespective of whether or not our phone exists or is working properly. I think that's one of the best analogs, analogies, or one of the best ways to think about ourselves and God and how we are part of this God consciousness. In this analogy, our mind and God's mind are really one mind and are like the Wi-Fi signal. Our bodies and brains are like the phone that downloads, translates, and expresses that signal in unique ways. This may mean that our individual ego, our individual personalities, cease to exist upon death. Aaron Van Voris may cease to exist upon death, but the true essence of who I am, my consciousness and awareness is perhaps eternal and simply returns or remerges with the cosmic mind, the one, the source, the absolute. That's how I like to think of it, at least. And there's an increasing number of people today that in various fields that are leaning into this because it's actually a very compelling idea that comports well with what we see going on in the world around us. But let's entertain the possibility for a moment, just the possibility, if you will, that this world, this universe, that this is it, that when we're dead, we're dead. And there's no afterlife, no cosmic mind, no God, and that everything is just temporal and here by sheer chance. If that's true, if that's true, does that mean there's no hope that, that life isn't worth a damn? That we all should just get horribly depressed and commit suicide or something? Many religious folks seem to think that that's the end result of losing one's faith. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this argument before that from devout Christians that if there is no God, then there's no meaning to anything. Life is just a sad joke. Just a, a tale told by an idiot, as Shakespeare says, an idiot who struts, struts and frets his hour upon the stage, a performance full of sound and fury, but signifying nothing in the end. If that's true, then what becomes of hope? 
Is all hope lost? Or is this perhaps the perfect ground for hope? Is our metaphysical uncertainties about God, the afterlife, and the meaning and purpose of all things, is this not the perfect ground for a kind of unconditional hope? A hoping against hope, as Paul puts it in the book of Romans. I think maybe so. And the text that really inspires me to think this way comes from Luke's gospel, where Jesus says, if you only love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners, even sinners do that. If you only lend to those who can pay you back, so what? And even the wicked do that. But love your enemy, he says. Lend to those from whom you do not expect and can't expect to receive back. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. On the surface, Jesus is, of course, teaching us that, that love is only love in the purest sense of the term. Love is only love when you're loving someone who's kind of unworthy of it, when they're like your enemy. If you only love those who love you, it's not really love, not in the purest sense of the term. For love to really be love in, in the purest or the highest sense of the term, it has to be given unconditionally without the expectation that it's going to be reciprocated. Otherwise, love is just, it's just an exchange. It's an economy. It's a quid pro quo. It's, it's this for that. I only love you because you love me. What's so special about that? Is that really love in the depths of the, the, the highest meaning of the term, in the purest sense of the term, in the most meaningful sense of the term? But I want to apply Jesus's words here beyond our social context and our interrelationships and into the existential context, because I think Jesus's words here are kind of like his secret hidden life philosophy. In other words, if you only love life because you think life goes on forever, what, what, what credit is that to you? Anybody can do that. If you only love life and find it meaningful because you believe in God and some divine overseer who assigns meaning to everything, what credit is that to you? Any, anybody can do that. But the deepest and truest love of life can only be found can only be found in the absence of any metaphysical certainty about God's existence or the existence of the afterlife. The, the deepest and truest love of life, I might put it this way, the deepest and truest love of, love of life can only be found in the absence of any certainty about God and or grand designs and afterlives. And it's, and it's simply enough to acknowledge and embrace our uncertainty about these things. I'm not saying we have to stop believing in God or the afterlife. No, of course not. It's simply enough to embrace the mystery and our unknowing and the uncertainty of it all. Only in the absence of any such certainty are we really free to affirm and love life on its own terms. Otherwise, it seems to me that we're like those in our text today who only love those who love them, who only lend to those who can pay them back. Real love, 
real hope. And what is hope but the love of life? What is hope but the love of life? Such love and hope can only happen in the context of uncertainty. Hope, you might say, is a leap of faith. It's a way of believing in the power of love, the, the love of life. Hope is a way of saying yes to life, despite all of life's uncertainties and frailties. A hope that can do that is, is hope with a capital H, <laughs> a kind of holy hope, a divine hope, you might say. But again, such hope is only possible in a world fraught with uncertainty like ours is. It, it seems to me that's the secret life philosophy found in Jesus' teachings today, but unconditional love. And I'm not the first Christian to think this way. Martin Luther, that great German reformer from 500 years ago, was once asked what he would do if he knew the world was going to end tomorrow. He responded and said, if I knew the world was going to end tomorrow, I would plant an apple tree today. Sounds like a completely futile act, right? No, it, it was a, it's a radical affirmation of life's beauty and meaning. It, it's a, an expression of an unconditional love of life in the face of life's utter frailty. This is the kind of hope I'm talking about. Luther understood this. And I think he was inspired to think this way from Jesus. To plant an apple tree the day before the world, end, the world ends is a radical way of saying yes to life in the face of life as it actually is. Isn't that life coming, coming to an end every single day for someone? Are we not faced? Is anyone here guaranteed tomorrow? I'm not. Are we not faced with that startling reality every single day? Our situation is extremely precarious. None of us are getting out of here alive, meaning this world. I don't know about you, but death kind of runs in my family. I, I checked and all my ancestors suffered from this condition. I think I've got it too. And yet in the face of such difficult truths, we have a great opportunity the opportunity to make a glorious expenditure and the opportunity to say yes to life anyway. Because of it, we have the opportunity to engage in a pure act of grace, a pure act of love and hope. And what could be better than that? So these are the ways I think of hope. Yes, I have hope in the afterlife but I also have hope in the here and now because I realize that at the end of the day, I'm immersed in mystery. I'm a temporal being. I'm finite. I'm uncertain. Life's full of unknowing. But I see my uncertainty as an opportunity to be certain in the power of hope, in the power of love, and to give myself to that as a kind of courageous affirmation this here and now and of each other and what we have together what could be more hopeful than that maybe that's what god wants us to realize i don't know
but that's where I'm at. All right, we ran a little bit over 11, but I just want to leave a, a few minutes here. If anybody wants to react, anybody wants to ask a question, and does anyone want to share what gives them hope in their life right now? Yeah, Marsha, let me give this to you. I'd like to add a nuance to the way you phrase love, where it's not as special if you know it's coming back from someone. But I think if you look at your life with your brand new children, they're still young, you're giving love to them. And at some point, I think you know they're giving it back by their actions, but you don't stop. And I think the nuance is that when we give freely, because at the beginning you did, you know, babies are babies, and you start finding someone responding, it only becomes more richer because you then give more, never knowing how it's going to blossom. You're right. Yeah, it's a nice thought. Anybody else want to share what gives them hope? Or maybe what, how they struggle to find hope. That's okay, too. Yeah, Jason. Uh, thanks. I think there's, <clears throat> there's so many different aspects. That was a great, um, that was a great talk. Thank you. Um, I think kind of more at the tail end of what you were saying with the hope and speaking of thinking of like the preciousness of the life right now that we have as opposed to, and I think, you know, coming from certain other areas or certain tenets of faith where um, a lot of the focus of hope is on the afterlife, which tends to, I think my, my opinion is that it encourages a, a certain amount of passivity about like today and what's going on today. And may, you know, which is a lot of really challenging stuff every day, especially in American culture and society. Um, there's a lot of desert of prosperity and um, practicing that other form of hope, like you were talking about, like, how do we, what I struggle with is how do I practice an active hope for what's here and now in front of it? How do I practice it rather than kind of have it in my heart, which is nice, but how do I, if you, you know, that that's a harder, almost like divine hope is like, when I look at something going wrong with someone I don't like, someone I don't care for, someone who I think made bad decisions somewhere in outside of our, you know, outside of where we have it nice and easy, you know, um, that's where it gets harder to have hope. It's, you know, it's a lot harder, harder to practice it. How do I put it into action? How do I speak this divine hope that we've been given in a tradition and we've been given all these examples of, of the, uh, the hardness of it. Like it's, it's supposed to be hard, <laughs> you know, um, it's not supposed to be passive and easy, or at least not, you know, in a hard read of, of the book. So like, how do I, what does that mean? And to struggle and, to, but act in it, that's hard to do, which is why I think a lot of people just don't do it. You know, it's easier. It's just easier to go, ah, let's, you know, it'll all be better in the next life, but it's hard to be like, how do I make it better in this life? Even though maybe it's just a little bit, maybe it's just the apple tree that I won't see bloom. You know, or it might, someone else might see it bloom, God forbid, and someone else might enjoy the fruits of my labor, you know, which kind of goes back to, isn't that kind of one of the Christian tenets? But yeah, that <laughs> putting into practice today, even with no assurance of payoff. 
you know, or that someone else may enjoy the payoff. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I think, frankly, it's a great practical way of living out hope just by investing ourselves, investing ourselves in community and in positive social action wherever we can and do that um, by specifically standing up for the marginalized and taking stands on issues in the public space and but participating in community and, and in relationships with others, I think is a profound act of hope, practical hope that we can all practice and that you're practicing actually just by being here it's an act of hope to walk through those doors and to participate in a community like this one um i commend you for that but anyway thank you for those thoughts um why don't we uh end our service a little bit early that was the plan um and get to christmas decorating uh which is an act of hope maybe <laughs> but uh yeah let's let's conclude by saying our benediction together and and get to it as we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of love, honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves, as Christ did, to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life, this world, and each other. Amen. Go in hope. And if you're here and would like to hang out for a few minutes and help us decorate the sanctuary for Advent, this is a kind of an annual tradition, please feel free to stick around.